Welcome back to the Switch the Pitch podcast, the podcast for those of us with resting pitch face. My name is Darby. I am the podcast producer and also an occasional official reporter for the Houston Dynamo. Um, sorry about that. Haven't haven't had a whole lot of uh, content on the website recently, but uh, you know, fall is my busy time and I take some time off. But we're uh, back with the podcast. I'll be back with the writing uh, before you know it. I've got a whole lot of hot takes on the Houston Dynamo rebrand and how our season ended up, but more on that later. Today, I am really excited to share with you an interview that one of our reporters, one of our resting pitch faces, Araceli, uh, did this week that is a CCL preview. And so... I thought it was an excellent way to relaunch the pod, and I really hope that you enjoy it. I'll catch you on the other side. Hi, everyone. My name is Aracely Villanueva, and I cover Sporting KC and LAFC for Switch to Pitch. But for tonight, I am putting on my LAFC cap for a special episode since... The CCL is starting up soon. Who knew? It feels like just yesterday MLS ended, and yet here we are in another soccer tournament. And with me, I have some very special guests tonight, Gio Garcia and Philly and the Scar from Defenders at the Bank. Thank you for joining me, you guys. How are you doing? We're pretty good. Pretty good. Excited to be here to talk, uh, talk some soccer, some LAFC, <laughs> CCL, and uh, you know MLS Cup with you guys. Good to talk with you again. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's such an honor. This is the second time you invited us, so clearly we didn't make up made that much of a mess the first time around. We, we've got some time to do it. Don't worry. <laughs> well, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, first, uh, first things first, I want to send a huge congratulations to the Columbus crew for winning the MLS Cup on Saturday night in Mapfire Stadium after defeating the Seattle Sounders 3-0 in a match that I don't think anyone really saw coming with such a dominant performance. What did you guys think of the crew's performance that night? Going into the match without Darlington Nagby, you figure that they would be a little handicapped in, in that respect. But they, they obviously came out with, with, with their... Their rears on fire, and, and he, they dispatched the Sounders relatively easily. Zellerion had a fantastic game. He was such a pleasure to watch. And I will say I'm a little biased because Caleb Porter, their head coach, did in fact play soccer at my alma mater, Indiana University. So I was very happy to see a Hoosier win an MLS Cup title. So I was really proud of uh, – not really proud of Seattle. I was really proud of Columbus. I was really proud that they beat Seattle. Yeah, look, I, I was rooting for Columbus. We said this on our podcast. There's a Jossie Zardes grew up down the street for me, so I was I was hopeful for Columbus. Plus, we had a, a couple of our buddies have a tie on someone at Columbus. But if you would have told me it would have been three nothing in the form that it was, shocked. I mean, Seattle, Seattle's just one of those teams. It's it's kind of like Philly loves when I bring this up. It was kind of like the Patriots with Tom Brady. You never wanted to bet against them. It didn't matter who they were playing, where they were playing, what was going on. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel about Seattle. I mean, Brian Schmetzer had 
has that team organized, playing well, incredible depth, everything you thought you might need. And Columbus took every one of their best shots. I mean, look, we'll probably talk about it, but Seattle did not capitalize on a couple of chances in the box and a couple other things they should have done. But Lucas Elrion was the best player on that pitch by far, and he looked absolutely incredible. Kudos to Columbus. Yeah, I think just like all of us, I was shocked. I, uh, you know, just how dominating they were, how dominating Columbus crew were over the Seattle Sounders, who've made the what, the final what, four of the last five years, and everything that Seattle Sounders have done up to up to this point. You like you said, you never want to bet against them, and you always felt like even them being down two zero, you always like, okay, they're gonna make a comeback because we saw what they did with Minnesota United. They made that mm-hmm. comeback and scored those goals within just a lot, matter of minutes. And I was expecting that to happen, and it never happened. And they even get a, they didn't get a score or goal. I mean, even with that three-headed monster they had up top with uh, Nicolas Odera, Rory Diaz, you know, they they never came impacted the game. And it, it was it was so surprising to me because I was like, okay, at least they're gonna get one, or they're gonna make it three-two or something. Mm-hmm. And it never happened. But you know, shouts out to, to Columbus, and you know, they were the better team that night. And I want to say shout out to the fans, too, for having to endure all the craziness that that was surrounding that club for the longest of time. I mean, they were set to go. You know, they saved the crew petitions were going out there. You had all types of people petitioning to save that team. And now they're getting a brand new stadium. They closed out their tenure in their current arena, which a lot of people don't know is the first soccer-specific stadium in the league. So the fact that they managed to hang on, because they are one of those MLS 1.0 since 96 teams. It's great, and it's good that the fans got rewarded for for their love and support of the club, and really classy way for them to close out their time in their facility. Really excited to go to Columbus and see that new stadium whenever the hell we can go. Yes, definitely, for sure. And I completely agree with all three of you, for sure, to see that Columbus lifting the cup in Mafire Stadium, which will, as Philly, you pointed out, will be the last match that stadium will see. It's just po- pure poetic justice. And JR, kind of how you how you pointed out with Gazi uh, Sardis, you know, the kid from Hawthorne, to watch him with that cup again, that was just so exuberant, and I was just excited for him, as well as the whole entire team, Caleb Porter. Columbus Crew just has a very rich history, so to see them pull off that type of win against an arguably dominant Sounders was just incredible, and kind of GOS, you pointed out, I, I have to admit, I did kind of wait for that extra goal to kind of come in, in the second half, you know, for the Sounders to pull one back. And then once Bruin and Spenson entered the game, kind of do what they did with Minnesota. They took that game into overtime and just nailed it. I was kind of waiting for something similar to happen, but for Columbus to completely shut them out for the full 90. Now with 2020 MLS campaign in the books, we look ahead to the CONCACAF Champions League. As LAFC returns to the bubble in Florida for their matchup on Wednesday to face Cruz Azul. How are you guys feeling about this match and us returning to Florida in such a short amount of time? Can't wait. Let's go. If you told me that we got to go into Florida with the roster that we have right now, 
everybody theoretically healthy, all of our starting 11 that we would want out there healthy, everybody ready to have, what, weeks of practice underneath their belt with Bob, fine-tuning those things. We got some time with Mario. Who knows where we're going to – who we're going to play at right back. That's going to be something that I'm, I'm really interested to see. We've got everybody together really for the first time this season in the way that we would have wanted them. You've got Mario, who's mm-hmm. now coming in. You've got your front line of Vela Rossi and Brian Rodriguez all ready to play at the same time. Your midfield, which has been a, really our strength all season. They're as healthy as they've been all year. Backline, look, I hope that's what we've been working on in practice, right? We're, we are all aware that our backline is or the Achilles heel of this team right now. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping Pablo knows that he's our starter and goal. He's ready to go. I am so excited for this. Coming off of the debacle that was the end of Cruz Azul's season, I mean, I guess how Cruz Azul is that, right? The uh, the term is Cruz Azul Art, if I, if I get it correct. So for me, seeing what Cruz Azul is going through right now, no coach, no keeper. I mean, are we? could we possibly have a better setup than we do right now? I'm ready. I'm pretty pumped myself. I mean, for a lot of the reasons that Scarf had mentioned. I definitely feel like we have a mental edge we have a healthy lineup, and obviously, if you guys would have watched, and a lot of people would have. I mean, Leon took out Pumas, and they're the Apertura champions. So we have that mental edge. Look, we just knocked out Liga Emeki's champions several months ago with all our players. Now we have all of our players, and we stand a really good shot against a team that's probably mentally they haven't recovered from that epic collapse that they had. We, on the other hand, have had time to lick our wounds, and I would say we have the the mental edge. We're going in, we're hungrier, uh, in, in my opinion, and we're going back to Orlando, which is familiar territory. None of the, those Liga Mekis teams don't know what the bubble environment is going to be like. How are they going to respond to that? Uh, you could look at it at the other side of the equation that, well, you know, they're going to be a little pissed off and they're going to try to give LAFC all they can, but, you know, there's a lot of disarray. When the president of the team goes out there and said that loss – uh, against Pumas was one of the worst losses in team history. That's coming from the top. And that mentality obviously worked its way down. They sacked their coach, their keeper, who is, if not arguably, the best keeper in the league. He's out. They still have a lot of dangerous weapons, but I would say mentally we have the edge because our morale, I would anticipate, is a lot higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think LAFC is coming into this with uh, facing a Cruz Azul that's very vulnerable. I mean, the team is, don't get me wrong, is very talented, but embarrassing exit of the Liga MX uh, semifinal, how they went out is, you know, after being up 4-0 and you lose 4-0 in the second leg and Pumas moves on. I, I mean, you see you see what happened with the coach. You said the, the goalkeeper, Jesus Corona, is not going to be available for them. So everything is starting to work in LAFC's favor, right? The way the way Cruz Azul went out and the way they're coming into the bubble. Uh, positives for LAFC is that they have experience in the bubble. I just think uh, for LAFC, there's still a lot of questions uh, to be asked. Uh, last week, Bob Bradley had mentioned that uh, Brian Rodriguez had just uh, was going to arrive on Thursday. So he has not mm-hmm. essentially not practiced with the team, has not had the time with the team. And uh, if we recall back um, to the final game, final regular season game versus Portland Timbers, we saw Christian's Torres start over uh, Brian Rodriguez. So I think I'm interested to see if Christian's Torres will start over Brian Rodriguez or does Brian Rodriguez automatically get inputted into that slot because he hasn't played. And it's been, I think, almost a month or so. He hasn't played for a number mm-hmm. of weeks. Let's call it that. And we've just got to see how his rhythm is, how his physique is going to be, what he has been doing while he's been uh, been out, been away from the team. I think those are going to be questions to ask. And also, we just want to see of Danny Mazowski. Uh, he hasn't. He didn't play in the final regular season game. 
he also didn't play in the, the game against Seattle Sounders. It looks like that injury, whatever it was, is a lot more serious than, you know, than what, what was previously said. Um, the reason why I say that is because BWP has decided to opt out for this tournament because LAFC did not pick up his mm -hmm. option. And you have a couple other players. So I think there's a lot of things that are really, really in favor of LAFC to have a very hopeful, hopeful tournament and also uh, overcome uh, Cruz Azul. But at the same time, there's going to be a lot of questions being asked because of the contracts, because of certain things, and, be, and because some of the health. Mm -hmm. And I want to see uh, what type of lineup is put out there. And I know uh, Scarf had mentioned about the right back. We may see Eddie Segura, we may see Amonir, we don't know. And I think a lot of those things, um, even though with those things uh, LAFC is dealing with that, it's still in LAFC's favor to come out on top and get the victory. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. And actually, to your point of BWP having opted out of the tournament, I do want to focus on a roster a little bit here. We did decline op uh, contract options for Philip Imanju again. No surprise, unfortunately. Um, Jesus Murillo, Andy Najjar, Adrian Perez, and, of course, BWP. However, all are on the roster and still eligible to play for CCL with BWP being the only one who exempted from it. And, Gio, you and I were both on that call last week where I think um, someone had asked uh, Bob Bradley about that, that how does it feel to have these players on that roster even though the club did not pick up their options? And he had told us in a way that it was a little bit awkward. Do you think that that's going to play into their mental state a little bit, knowing that I still have to play for my club, yet they don't want me, per se? I think some uh, – it depends who, who you're talking about. I think uh, if I – BWP, it makes it – makes, let's, let's, let's focus on that first. I think it totally makes sense for BWP mm -hmm. um, to opt out because if you're not going to pick up his contract, he did uh, what he was supposed to do. He proved himself right. again. You know, he proved himself to LAFC, and he scored, what, eight goals and six assists in about 14 games that he started for LAFC. Um, and if they weren't going to pick up his contract, it made sense for him to opt out. But at the same time, I see why it made sense for LAFC because you have a backup in Danny Masovsky, who's younger, who's also has proved that he's a goal, uh, goal scorer in this league. Um, for BWP, it makes sense for him to not to play because he could risk an injury. And if LAFC doesn't pick up his option, then you know he, he loses a possibility of being a free agent and, and another team pick him up. I think the players that you have to be concerned about is uh, Jesus Mourinho, I think Mohamed Amarnier, um, because those guys are, are are at a contract, and those are guys that are negotiating the contract. To me, it make mm -hmm. it makes sense that LAFC will bring back Jesus Mourinho. I think there's certain things that are, are going to be negotiated. I think there was a buyout clause about a million dollars, and from what I'm hearing, is LAFC is trying to negotiate that to a smaller number. I don't know how successful they're going to be in doing that, but Jesus Mourinho looks like to be a center uh, focal piece for this team. And you hope nothing happens to him um, injury-wise in this tournament at all. But you also want to make sure that you lock you lock Jesus Mourinho down, um, whichever price tag he comes at. Mohamed Amourier, I don't know if this is – it looks like this may be his last game. I think also uh, Jordan Harvey's out of contract. I, I can't think of all the names right now. But mm -hmm. there's certain pieces that make sense that are not going to be back and other pieces that Mohamed Amourier, he's kind of uh, one of those players, like, you know what he could bring, but you also see the signing that LAFC did with Marco Fafan, who's not available for the, the CCL matchup. So in a way, like a player like Mohamed Amourier, Jordan Harvey, if he decide, if he gets some playing time, 
they're essentially, uh, um, you know, showcasing themselves for not just LAFC, but for other teams in the league. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a game that LAFC wants to, wants to win against a vulnerable Cruz Azul, I don't know how much playing time those players are there are out of contract are going to be in free agency on this roster. We'll, we'll get that playing time. Um, so it, there's a lot of things that Bob Riley's going to have to manage here. Um, and especially with the with the players, and it, it is very awkward, you know, for them to make those decisions right after the MLS after the tournament. But that's just the way twenty twenty is. And mm-hmm. he also said, you know, it makes it also makes makes the player feel like they're not wanted because you didn't pick up their player options. So it, it's a tough decision. But I mean, they, they decided to go the way they did, and they they already got their, their they, we already know their team moving forward, and some of the pieces they they picked up for next year. And especially in a, um, 2020 has been really an unorthodox year, un, unvery usual, because not only are you facing these um, contracts who have been declined and we're going into negotiations, plus this week alone is the offseason, the normal kind of mechanisms we usually see with the offseason, the expansion draft, the free agency. So I am very curious to see if any of that plays a role into this, even though LAFC luckily is exempt from the expansion draft after Inter-Miami took, I believe they took Lee Wen last year. So that made us exempt from it. So we don't have to worry about that tomorrow. But for the rest of the week, we're kind of holding our breath a little like, hmm, what's going to, you know, kind of happen. So I can only imagine how those those players are feeling, you know, trying to keep that stuff in the back of their mind while trying to be focused on the game. Philly and Scarf, what are your thoughts on this? I think Eddie Nahar might have tore his ACL thinking about his contract for next season. <laughs> we're really going to miss him. I, I, I kid, I kid. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as what Gio was saying, yeah, it's going to be awkward. Um, but at the same time, I think if some of these guys are going to get their playing time, they are going to go all out. They are going to fight as hard as they can in order to prove themselves that, hey, I can still play in this. I mean, this is this is a do-or-die game, and they're all consummate professionals here. Yeah, it's going to be awkward because decisions have been made, but at the same time, they still have the same exact goal, and that's to extend. It's kind of like playing college sports. Like, you are playing for the right to continue to play. And with some of these guys, Dan Yakovich was another person who um, was a starter for a good portion of his career. And he's he's out of contract and they didn't pick up the option on him. So I think these guys are just going to go out there if and when they get playing time and, and they're going to go all out. It's a short turnaround. So if we end up doing what we got to do against Cruz Azul on the 16th, we're going to end up getting the winner of Club America in Atlanta. We'll just call it Club America because Atlanta's going to get smoked three days afterwards on the 19th. So they, they are going to fight for the ability to play another day. And I think some people like Jordan Harvey are probably going to get some playing time. Mohamed Almanir could get some playing time. We know Andy Nahar's not going to get any playing time. <laughs> we pick on him quite a bit on our show. It's it, it's all in good, clean fun. We like to poke fun. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's my thoughts. I mean, they're going to go out there guns a-blazing because for guys like Jordan Harvey, this really might be it, period. Not just with LAFC. It might be it, period. Yeah, look, I, I don't think that any of those names that we talked about were surprises that their options weren't picked up. Mohamed Omunir has all the talent in the world, and for some reason or another, he landed himself in Bob's doghouse for a little bit, and it just seems like he couldn't get himself out of it. We have seen some of the best play from any wingback that we've had in the history of LAFC come from the glimpses that we've seen from Mohamed Omunir, especially because Bob likes to push his guys up the way he does, and we've seen several times where Mohamed's done great things. But it's not a surprise to Jordan Harvey that Jordan Harvey's option wasn't picked up. I think that, Philly, you hit the nail on the head. He may be looking at this as his swan song. 
You know, what if he can come in, play some solid right back in, in place of whoever it might be, Marco Farfan most likely, for next season? And Jordan puts in some good minutes. Maybe Eddie Segura plays over there for a little bit, although I'd kind of rather see Tristan Blackman playing on that side. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But what we're talking about right now are depth pieces. And I think, again, that's what's so key. If you look at our six midfielders, we're not talking about contract concerns. We're talk- not talking about you know next year roster concerns. If you look at our, you know, we're six deep again on the front line. I think that if we're going to win this match, not not lose this match, but if we're going to go out and win this match, it's going to be because it's going to be because we are going to score more goals than Cruz Azul. It won't be because of our back line that we win. I think we're going to have to win this match 4-2, 3-1. It's going to have to be because we outscore the opponent. I don't trust mm-hmm. our back line. I don't trust fully Pablo Cisniega, especially because we've been off for so long. But what I do trust is the fact that we have the best midfield in Major League Soccer, and I trust that we've got the back-to-back golden boot winners in Carlos Vela and Diego Rossi. To me, you've got the multi-talented Brian Rodriguez who can infuriate you just as much as he can bring you out of your seat with a beautiful pass or a beautiful dribble. For me, it's going to be all about can we can we keep scoring enough to move on in this tournament, not can we hold other teams off of the score sheet. Oh, for sure. We definitely have some major strong players in our lineup. And as you pointed out, our midfield can be very dangerous at times. So hopefully that does come through on Wednesday. And we also have our other players like Danny Musovsky and Christian Torres who have come into their own late in the season or throughout the season, I should say. Now, you didn't mention uh, Marco Farfan. Um, another key point of our roster, it was made official yesterday from the club that LEFC acquired defender Marco Farfan from the Portland Timbers for 300000 and general allocation money or known as GAM. What do you guys think of this signing? Do you think he will be a great addition to the club and especially to Bob's system? Or are we seeing another bench warmer, per se? I, th- I think it's a, it's a great addition. I mean, this is what you want to see from LAFC. Uh, you know, going into this offseason, you want to uh, pick up players where they've been most vulnerable this season. And we all know, we've all talked about it multiple, multiple times. It's been that back line. And, you know, you add, he's he's a, he's a left back, but I've heard he also can play right back. And he's also 22 years old. The good thing about this is that LAFC likes to play young players. And he has experience with the Portland Timbers team and the MLS. And at the same time, this is a player that can develop and grow within Bob Bradley's system. And it, and the, the positive is he, he can learn. If if he's not a starter, he's a player that can come off the bench for LAFC in the next season. And that's what you want. You want some depth in this in this team and with LAFC. And him, he being added to that team, he being added to that group and seeing how they, they like to play on the 4-3-3, it's going to be a very exciting now to see how effective he's going to be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, is he going to start over Chiqui Palacios? Obviously, with Jordan Harvey's playing that position, but, you know, they're, they're, they're starting to add more pieces to that puzzle and they're, they're starting to add depth because we also should consider next year, it's going to be insane. You got uh, what's the Olympics. You got World Cup qualifying. You got so many events going on in the 2021 season that you're going to want to have more players available for you, um, whether they're young, they're old, to have that depth for 2021 season because there's going to be players coming in and out of that lineup just with everything going on. And I think he's a great piece, and I like that they're bringing a player within the MLS. And I feel like MLS has a really – really good defensive players that you don't necessarily have to look out. You don't have to go to South America. You don't have to go to, you know, all those different countries out there. There's a lot of talent 
being here in the MLS. And I like that they picked up Marco Fafan. Yeah, this is a team that, you know, it really does look towards the future with a lot of their signings. I mean, obviously we led Major League Soccer in minutes played by under 22-year-olds this last season by a very wide margin. But you look at Farfan, and he got his first call into U.S. Men's National Team Senior Teams Camp this year. He's played at the national team level for several times now. He's been playing USL and actually in MLS getting significant minutes since he was a teenager for Portland. So someone who's learned on and grown up in front of the, the big spotlight. So, I mean, the kid played 18 games Mm -hmm. as like an 18 year old in USL and, and Timbers too. Look, we know the Timbers organization provides quality MLS players. We've seen it time and time again, coming up through their system. And, And Gio, you hit the nail on the head when you said that it's a position of need for us. You know, I believe that that he can play right back. That's what we're kind of envisioning him as, as next year because I think Chiqui Palacios, we all think, is our left-back starter moving forward. I think that we all think that it's going to be Mario and Segura coming in the middle, staying at center backs. And then does that mean Tristan Blackman or does that mean we re-sign Jordan Harvey for some extra minutes? Or Farfan, this 22-year-old kid who I think if we don't play him, we're actually stunting his development. I'm excited to see what we can get from this kid. I know one of the knocks on, if you go to the LAFC fans Facebook page, because, you know, that's that's where I go to get all my LAFC fan Facebook news, is uh, that, you know, they, they wanted a an established player. Well, all right, this kid has played thousands of minutes already in professional soccer. I don't know how much more established you want a guy to be. I know he's not 28 and formerly of a Liga Amekis team or something, but for me personally, I, I really like this as, as one of those forward-thinking signings that John Thorrington has been known for. I think it's interesting because he was whole of Portland's first homegrown player. And so they developed him, they progressed him, and now we have him. And like you said, he had his first – call up with the U.S. men's national team. We're catching this kid in an upward trajectory right now. And yeah, he has played significant minutes throughout the course of the last three years. He's played, I believe, what, 30, 34 times for, for the senior team, for Portland, that is, not Portland, uh, not Timbers too. And I think he started maybe 14 games this year or played in 14 games. So, I mean, it's it's going to be a loss for Portland and we're going to gain. Mm-hmm. And to your point, a lot of people want JR. A lot of people want that bigger, more established defender, but he's he fits the model as to what we've been doing since day one. And as it's been announced from day one, taking younger talent, creating an environment to where we can go for the long term, not bringing in older established people that might be, you know, somewhat of a, a, a hindrance on your contracts and somebody who would only be around for a short season title run. I think for fun. Could be the future for us. And again, upward trajectory. I, I like what we're getting with this kid. And 300000 in general allocation money, I think it's a steal at the end of the day. Yeah, if I could just add one thing, uh, it's just it's, he's a low-risk, high-reward type of player, and this is what LAFC has been known for. Um, you see it with Danny Masuski, you saw it with BWP, you saw it with Andy Nahar, it didn't work out with Danny Nahar, but they like to go with these low-risk, high-reward players. Mm-hmm. The benefit, like I said, he's 22 years old and he has experience in the league. I like this move. Oh, yes, he definitely comes as a full package almost with the experience and the young age, and I could see him developing well with Bradley's system in the future. Hopefully we get to see him play in front of fans next year if things go our way, because if anything, that was the only downside to BWP is that he did come into his own, but he did not get to do it in front of fans. So unfortunately, he didn't have that luxury, but we'll see if our fan gets it, let alone, you know, just the players in general. 
Now, moving over to the Cruz Azul side, um, it was reported that Robert Zabaldi decided to step down after their embarrassing exit from Wega MX, the semifinals. Do you think this is kind of a blow to their self-esteem going into the match, and could we play on that? Yeah, I think I, the blow... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Gio. I was going to say, yeah, because... What he said, uh, which was translated, but uh, obviously him listening to him say it in Spanish, he was really hurt that his uh, that his values and the honor, which was was tested, um, essentially he was getting that they somehow through the game because mm-hmm. they they lost that second game. So obviously when when you lose the way you lose, fans get upset. Obviously if you're a diehard Azul fan, you find there's like no way any fan is like there's no way you lose 4-0 after being up 4-0. And I think the what he said on his um on his resignation on Twitter, he was very hurt by his integrity, his values being tested, and mm-hmm. how they're looked at by this one game on how they lost. And, you know, Chris Azul has a, has a history of losing really important games. And, and it, this is not just the first time for Chris Azul. Maybe, you know, this may be the first time for Robert Ciboldi's, you know, the way they lost. And, you know, just kind of went into who Chris Azul have been within the last few years. And like I said earlier, to start this, they're, they're, they're the most vulnerable team right now. And this is, if you're LAFC, with whatever you're going on, even with Brian Rodriguez not not, not practicing there, um, you will have an advantage. I really do feel like LAFC have the advantage because you're out with your head coach. You had you're out with your starting goalkeeper. There's so many mixed emotions about the club in itself and where they're going in the future. LAFC look to be more of a team that's. Uh, has the experience playing in the bubble, has experience of, you know, playing with each other the last couple of weeks as they were out of the MLS, uh, you know, MLS Cup tournament in the first round. So this is a very important game for LHC to strike and make it past the next round. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what hurt their self-esteem was the fact that they lost 4 nothing in their most important match of, of maybe even their team's history, at least last couple of seasons for them. And and look, it, it remains to be seen, right? If, if it's the case where what Gio is saying, right, where the coach feels players through the game, you know, if that's something that would happen, we're talking about an epic collapse, right? And we're talking about something that if you're asking me if that's the team that we have to go play, if we're questioning whether or not they threw their last game to lose, to be eliminated from the, the Liga MX playoffs, it's to me, we're catching them at a really dangerous time for us because I also think that that could be a very galvanizing moment. If they were trying to throw the, the game or if they were trying to do things so that you know certain things would come about, i.e. them firing their coach and maybe cleaning house, then I think if they got what they wanted, then you always want to be wary of an opponent with their backs to the wall because they have nowhere to go but fight forward. And as much as I love our chances, as much as I think we are going, like I said, maybe 4-2, might be 3-1, I think we're going to take it to Cruz Azul, we also have to be very wary of a team that has nothing left to play for other than the 90 minutes in front of them. And you can say the same thing about LAFC. Look, the 2020 season that we just went through, with the injuries, with the frustrations, with Adama Dion, Walker Zimmerman both departing, and with our MVP getting injured, with everything that we would have thought would have happened really falling by the wayside, to still have a chance to do something not just historical in MLS context, but historical in world football. No major league soccer team has ever won 
CCL. It's always been someone from Liga MX or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. We still have everything left to play for. And I don't care if Cruz Azul feels like their back is against the wall or that they're playing for each other now that the coach is gone. I just like our chances. The season has been so chaotic. And truthfully, if LAFC does come out on top and win the CCL, that pretty much cancels out all that negativity that we saw within the course of 2020. It cancels out that first round exit in the playoffs to Seattle. It cancels out that quarterfinal loss to Orlando City in PKs. So yeah, LAFC's got everything going for them. And there's blood in the water. And as a bunch of sharks, I, I, I really think that they, they, they smell that. Yeah, you catch a wounded animal, they're, they're going to fight. But after a while... If, if they threw the game to throw the game to prove JR's point, well, then, that, that, I mean, that's just a sad state of affairs. But after a while, I mean, there's the there's the whole concept of Cruz Azul losing big games and having the most epic collapses. And after con- this consistently happening, you know, it starts to become a mindset. I mean, they were in the 2014 CCL final, and, and, and they lost it. That was their most recent trip there. Successfully, they've done well in this tournament. But that mindset now gets canceled out because they lose in such an epic fashion. Uh, to kind of go to like baseball, for example, it's like when the Yankees would play the Red Sox, it was the curse of the Bambino. However the hell the Yankees would come back and beat the Red Sox. Uh, it was it was just this mentality, this curse. Same thing with the Cubs. They blamed a dude bringing a goat into the stadium that cursed Wrigley Field. And you get this like mindset of these epic collapses. And I feel like, again, that mindset is probably there. I mean, the 4 nothing, the way to lose that game, God. The interesting thing is talking to like our friends, our friends, the twins going into this game, they, they were like, yo, you're, you're going to see Cruz Azul have an epic collapse because that's just what they do. And look, I'm new to Liga Imeki, so I'm not going to lie. But just seeing that and knowing that they just have a history about it, I history has a tendency to repeat itself. So the, 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 the top of the chain, the president, it's negative there. There's no head coach. Your, your keeper, again, has COVID, and I, I don't know who else on the staff or, or players have it, but... They're coming in, you know, maybe viewing this as a vacation, but they're, those wounds are still fresh. I think our wounds have healed, and we're hungry because this is really it for 2020. And if we can win, that eradicates all of 2020's negativity. First MLS team to win CCL would be the greatest thing for this league ever. No, and there's no doubt that Cruz Azul is definitely coming in as a vulnerable team, looking at everything that's stacked against them. You know, as we all mentioned, their head coach resigned just days after an embarrassing exit out of the semifinals. They had multiple cases, I believe a dozen cases almost combined, with three players and nine staff members almost. I'm not sure if there's been any additional cases. I did see that the roster came out this morning and there were a few names missing, so that might play a role into how Wednesday is going to look. But either way, at the end of the day, it's unpredictable still. We can say that LEFC has this. I would hope that LEC has this. My main concerns would be, you know, Brian Rodriguez, Diego Rossi, Carlos Vela, what kind of physical shape are they in? Are they able to play? You know, the full 90, if not the first half or the second half. That's my only real concern with them. Otherwise, it's shaping to be an interesting matchup for Wednesday night. What are your guys' predictions or final predictions for the match? I think uh, LFC, like I said, LFC is now in the, in the driver's seat. I think, you know, you also kind of look somewhat of the pressure could be on LAFC now. Um because going into this match, because of what we, we've just talked about, and just to go back, it's three three of the players that tested positive are not did not make the final roster. So, and one of them was a starter, which, which was 
the Seuss Corona and nine of them were uh, coaching staff. I have no info on that. So I, I feel like a, a little bit more of the pressure is going to be on LAFC because even if, say, Brian Rodriguez is not 100%, you have a Diego Rossi, you have a Carlos Vela. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we said, the Golden Boot back-to-back winners. I mean, that's a lot of fire up, up top um, for LAFC. And I feel like they are definitely in the driver's seat because of that and because of having experience in the bubble and having all the momentum now within the last couple of weeks to, to mentally prepare because they knew who they knew they were going to face Cruz Azul. They knew they were going to face a tough Cruz Azul, but now the way things have changed within the last couple of days, Cruz Azul, they're the most vulnerable team. And they, like I said, this is a perfect time to, to, to strike for LAFC. But I also think we may be seeing some of these LAFC's players' final game. This could potentially be Brian Rodriguez' final game. This could potentially be Diego Ross. Rossi's final game because of the type of season he's had. The water twist up potentially. So there's a, there's a lot of things in play. And talking to Alicia earlier today, she had mentioned that because of the type of LAFC, the type of season LAFC had, they may not they're they're not going to be in the CCL next year um, because of their season. So this is they're going to have to wait a whole year for LAFC to get another another chance to you know make it to the CCL. So there, there's a lot riding on this. And if they're somehow able to make it all the way, you know, first get past Cruz Azul, then America, then potentially on the other side, I think it's Tigres. I mean, that is that is quite the teams to get to the final and beat. But if they're able to overcome that and do that, then you can look at this 2020 MLS season and, and, and you know, kind of look it back in the rearview mirror like, okay, you know, we, we didn't have the best MLS season, but we somehow came up on top on CCL and that would be a great accomplishment for LAFC for the type of season they've had in 2020. In in a single elimination, any anybody has any, every fighter has a chance. Every team has a chance. And crazier things have happened as we've seen throughout the course of even the MLS Cup tournament. Um, Cruz Azul, despite you know having their backs against the wall, I mean they still have some dangerous weapons on their team. They got their own Uruguayan Rodriguez and Jonathan, the guy led the apertura in scoring. You got Roberto Alvarado, another player that you got to watch out for. Unless he headbutts a referee, you got Pablo Aguilar, who's another person to worry about. Luis Romo, and then Scarf. Did you know Baca? He uh, actually was on that LMU team that won the uh, their their first conference title in 2010. Did you, did you hear about that? I did know that. It's funny you bring up one of my LMU Lions. I appreciate that, buddy. Yeah, of course. Well, you always bust my chops about bringing up Indiana Hoosiers. I had to show your Loyola Marymount Lions some love, my man. Appreciate that. Yeah, look, they asked for predictions, guys, and I'm going to give one again. I didn't hear one from you two. Come on. Four- oh, 3-1 LAFC. Sorry. Go. 4-2 LAFC. It's going to be a game where we're going to have to outscore them. And Araceli, I appreciate your skepticism on Brian Rodriguez, but Brian is bagging a goal and an assist. He is going to do his best Lucas Zellerayan impersonation, only this time it's going to be for CL. I can't wait to see what happens with LAFC. Look, could we lose this game 4-1 or 4-2 and look just as bad as I think we will look good? Absolutely, right? But my thing is this. I'm going to bet on Bob, I'm going to bet on Brian, and I'm going to bet on boots, as in two of them. Golden boots, Carlos Vela, Diego Rossi, 4-2. I said boots with a T. 4-2 LAFC, hands down, moving on. Let's go Club America. Yeah, let me to give my prediction. I think it's going to be 3-2 or 2-1, uh, and I'm going to go with uh, Vela and Rossi scoring the goals. Nice. Nice. And my for my prediction, I'm also going to go 3-1 with uh, – Diego Rossi getting the game winner because that's just how Rossi rolls. <laughs> like it. But of course, we will all find out this Wednesday night. Um, 
at 7.30 Pacific time when LEFC faces Cruz Azul back in Orlando, back in the bubble. It's almost deja vu again with the going back to the MLS's back tournament days, but luckily we're there for a different reason. Thank you guys again for joining me. Had a great time talking to you guys and great insight into Wednesday's match. Thank you so much, Arsalek. Yeah, thank, thank you for you. having us. It was great talking with you guys. Always a pleasure seeing you. Hopefully we get to see you back out on Christmas Tree Lane sometime next season. Thanks for joining us for season two of the Switch the Pitch podcast, the podcast for those of us with resting pitch face. Thanks so much as well to Araceli and the guys for uh, providing some really fun and really entertaining uh, predictions there for the upcoming CCL matches. Switch the Pitch Soccer is so much more than the articles on the website. With our social media team and our photographers, we can offer interactive and visual connections with MLS fans. Find us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at switchthepitch1 and on Facebook at fb.me slash switchthepitchsoccer. And we will be back again on a regular schedule and hope to hear from you if you have any uh, show ideas, questions that we can answer for you, or just want to get something off your chest. You can send us an email at contact at switchthepitchsoccer.com. Thank you so much to 123 Scream and Jana Pokop for our podcast anthem. Links to websites in the show notes. We at Switch the Pitch do wish you all a very happy holiday season. You should hear from us at least one more time before some of the more major world holidays come around. But just in case we don't, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. We're right in the middle of Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah and um, have a great week. Bye.